Now let's open up your Bible to Philippians chapter two. So the scripture reading today will be from Philippians chapter two. I will read the entire section from verse one until verse eighteen. So if you are new to our church or you don't have a Bible with you, you just feel free to raise your hand. Our volunteers will happily provide you with a copy. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please keep that copy. That's our gift for you. All right. So again, the scripture reading will be from Philippians chapter two, verse one to eighteen. Here, what the Holy Scripture says. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. But also to the interests of others, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon a sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray again. Father, we ask that you will reveal to us from your word, your Son Jesus Christ. May you help us to worship him, to revere him, and to obey all that he has taught us. And Lord, pray that your Spirit will illuminate these truths to our heart, and that you will give us a power. And the will to fulfill all that you have commanded to us through your words, in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Nobody likes a hypocrite or a phony person, right? You know that's a fact. 
It's like when big corporations that market themselves as the champions of human rights but continue to do business with countries with the worst human rights records. Or it's like when social media influencers who post about their happy and sunny life but later on you found out they were actually going through a divorce because of infidelity. Or when politicians tell you that you need to pay more tax for your gas while they fly around in private jets attending environmental summits. But the truth is this, you know, we are better at noticing inconsistencies in other people than ourselves. And the question that all Christians need to ask is this, that are we living as a true follower of Jesus? So to be a member in GFC, you know, you need to be a confessing believer who was baptized by water and that means you have declared to the world that you have died with Christ in your sin. And now you're living a new life with him in righteousness. But in a sense, you know, anyone confess with their lips that they are believers and be baptized. So the question is, is your walk consistent with your confession? You know, it's in our passage today, you know, in light of the humility of Christ, in light of the fact that he is to be worshipped, you know, on earth, in heaven, and under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Paul is urging the Philippians that they must not only confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but they must be believe and walk in a like manner. So the aim for our text today is likewise, that we who have professed our faith in Jesus Christ, who was redeemed by the blood of Christ, that we are obligated to obey all that Jesus has taught. We must walk our talk. And from verse 12 to 18 in our text today, Paul gave Philippians three reasons why they must walk the talk. That one, it is God's will. Two, it's your testimony. And three, it is for our mutual joy. So let's go to point one. In verse 12 to 13, Paul urges the believers to walk their talk by continuing to obey God's words consistently, whether they are in the presence of Paul or his absence. So Paul calls them beloved. You know, it can mean two things. Both, and both are true. You know, one, they are Paul's beloved. You know, that's evident by his words of gratitude and prayer throughout the chapter one that we have studied in the past week, the past month. And two, they are God's beloved. You know, they're children of God, treasured and loved by God the Father. So Paul is calling them to obedience, all of the intimate relationships that he had with them the teaching that he has taught them. He's also calling them to obedience because their identity as God's children. So this call to obedience is not through a domineering rhetoric or shaming coercion, but through gentle and earnest pleading that Paul is calling them to obey the teaching of God, not only in his presence, but even more so in his absence. So it's like when you were a kid, when a, teacher's had, when a teacher had to leave the room for whatever reason, and 
you know, students would tend to explode into rambunctiousness and chaos. But as soon as the teacher walks into the room, you know, they will stop whatever they were doing, and the room will become laughably silent. But is that true obedience? You know, is that a kind of obedience that God is calling us to? No. Whether in my presence or much more in my absence, Paul says, their calling is to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. What does that mean? Is Paul saying that you need to produce your own salvation? You need to create it from nothing? No, what Paul is saying here is that you are obligated, you must, to bring about the reality of your salvation in your life. That you are justified by faith in Christ alone. That is a central message of our gospel. But salvation is not limited only to your justification, which was the one and done ordeal where you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. But Paul describes salvation from the past with ongoing present impact and a future ending. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not from yourself, but it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So absolutely, God saved us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and it is not our own works. He justified us from our sin and adopted us as his children because of the faith in Jesus Christ, his son. But our salvation is not only a past event. Justification was, on, was just the beginning of our salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is a power of God. So in this text, Salvation is an ongoing process, presently. That you are being saved as God sanctifies you and preserves your faith through sufferings and trials. But it doesn't mean that you're saved by your good works. But as the saying goes, you're saved to do good works. And our salvation is only completed in the future when we face Jesus on a day of judgment. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 tells us that having now been justified by his blood, present or past when we're justified, we shall be saved from wrath through him being Jesus. So to summarize, God declared you righteous when you no longer desire to live in your own sinful ways, but now that you're committed to follow Jesus that you would trust him alone, would deliver you from your sin and death. And as one redeemed by the blood of Christ and reconciled to God as his children, your salvation continuously, continues presently, evidenced by your ongoing faith and obedience. Until the day that Jesus returns and all the living and the dead will be judged before Jesus. And on that day, your salvation will be complete and you will be glorified. So biblical salvation, according to Paul, 
is the totality of God's redemptive work in your life that includes your justification when you first trust in Jesus, but it is not restricted to only your justification. Your present sanctification and your future glorification, they are not optional, guys. You know, they are not cherry on top of your salvation, but that your sanctification must take place in this present life as the evidence of your salvation. And that glorification will take place at the end. So if this is kind of wrecking your brain a little bit, let me give you an illustration. You know, you, become a, you became a parent when you first, well, or your wife first conceived, or you adopted a child or children. And you are a parent by keep being a parent. You know, just as many of you have experienced, you know full well that what it takes to be a parent. Your time is no longer yours. You're always thinking about your children. And you do not hold back from giving your children the best life they can have. And you pray for them day and day so that they will know the Lord. You know, I had a good friend who, once, uh, who sold his beloved motorcycle once he found out that he's going to be a father. You know, because he couldn't take the risk of losing his life for the sake of his child. No one's telling him to do that. But he is simply doing it because he now has a new mentality as a father. And you see, the Grace Kids teacher right now are doing what many of the parents would do by teaching them, caring for them, providing for them. But it doesn't make Grace Kids teacher a parent. You know, you who are parents make all the sacrifices in the world. That is because who you are. You don't just celebrate becoming a dad or a mom in baby shower and then walk away when the baby is born. But you are there for your children, that you tenderly nourish them and you pray for them and you care for them, or you simply frantically just trying to make sure you and your child will survive in the first few weeks. You are working out the reality of a parent, you know, day to day. And they will always be your baby even when they grow old and move out. So likewise, when you become a follower of Christ, you are no longer the same person. That your old person died with Jesus in his burial, and all of water and new self is born. And this new person will live a new life, which is marked with humility and obedience and taking on the new, uh, the new life attitude of fear and trembling before God. It is not a terrifying or paralyzing fear that non-believers will face one day before their creator, but it's a deep sense of reverence and awe that the God of the universe will send his beloved son who emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And because of the humility of Christ in his salvation of unworthy sinners, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, our text today is a natural continuation of the exaltation from last week that you who have bowed your knees before Christ are now transformed into a new being and living in light of this new reality with reverence and awe.
and you have a new, renewed soberness and clarity and purpose above your life now that governs you as you make your decisions each day on this earth. That you are working out the reality that God has saved you each day with fear and trembling. So far in this verse, we've been emphasizing on how you, should work, you must work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But Paul also adds a nuance with a reason and a, motiva- and a motivation of that in the next verse. That is, it's God who works in you. You know, as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, God is working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, that's just another paradox that we have to wrestle with. But it is what the Bible teaches, that God does not work in you because you are working, but that we must work because God is working in us. That it is his desire for us to work, and it is power that enables us to work. And that's why we walk the talk, because it is God's will. You know, that's the two truths we must hold on to, that your sanctification, that your walking obedience is a gift from God, so without whom there is no growth in your holiness. But on the other hand, your sanctification requires you to actively participating in the hard work. That requires you to go before God in fear and trembling each day of your life. So we must walk the talk because it is God's will for your life. Because it is God who granted us the salvation and the desire and the power to make it known to the world. In verse 14 to 15, Paul gives us, uh, us another command to obey. And the reason is this, so that they will be the shining light in a crooked and twisted world. And, they, and that is our point, uh, point two today. You must walk the talk because it is your testimony to the, in the world. So in verse 14, Paul writes this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You know, grumbling is the quiet murmuring in their breath, often in secret, but filled with bitterness and disgruntlement. And disputing, arguing for our case, insisting on our opinions and preferences. So basically, social media discourse. (laughs) So when you read the command in verse 14, in light of the previous verse, You know, Paul is giving the Philippians two examples of working out your salvation, which is to do all things without grumbling and disputing. So that's interesting, isn't it? You know, to use uh, grumbling and uh, disputing as the example of disobedience. Not sexual immorality, you know, not anger or jealousy. If there's ever a hierarchy of sins that we commit, most people probably will not put grumbling and complaining on the top of the list. So why? So why is Paul mentioning these two things specifically for them to obey? And that's because sometimes the most dangerous sin 
are those in the dark. Those that are covered by the veneer of normality or even piety. So in a way, that's how COVID halted the entire world to a pause. You see, the most dangerous virus does not cause immediate symptoms or even the deadliest, but it is the one that can stay dormant, you know, unknown to the one infected, but it slowly hijacks the host body cells. It feeds off the healthy cells and then multiplies and eventually killing the host bit by bit. And when we realize something's off, by then, it may, you may have already spread it to many others. So grumbling and love of disputing are those sins, sins that may not be seen much at first. You know, nobody hears about your grumbling, and you can certainly dispute everything in the name of truth. But ongoing grumbling and disputing with strangers and friends alike will slowly corrode your soul. It robs your joy and it divides the church. And Christians can often dress them up. Instead of calling it gossiping and grumbling, we can say it's sharing our burden, you know, pouring out our hearts. And all of a sudden, that sounds pretty pious, isn't it? I mean, don't we want Christians to be open and vulnerable with one another? So how do we dis distinguish the two? Have the mind of Christ. The answer is in our sermon last week. When Taurus showed us that we must work diligently to put off our self-interest and to count others more significant than yourselves and ultimately to adopt the mind of Christ, the sacrificial humility that led Jesus to die on the cross. So when your sharing does not lead to humility, and there's no follow-up or to, you know, to reflect upon your own sin or your own weakness, and instead it is only to make you feel better about yourself, especially at the cost of putting others down, then that is not sharing. It is grumbling. It is gossiping. It is sin. And I want to say this to those who are you know, on the recipient of other people's grumbling. I know some of you are very empathetic. You want to be a good listener. You want to be a good friend. You want to be understanding and not hurt your friend, especially when they are voicing out to you their hurt. But be careful of not becoming an instrument for your friend's sin. Or worse, be influenced by grumbling, and that you will turn into grumbling one as well. After it is, after all, you know, it is very infectious to complain. You know, remember what we learned last year about lamentation, that there is a place, a way to cry out before God about a suffering. But we never stay there. We plead with God to move us out of that place, and we commit ourselves to the truth of God, and we continuously recommit until God moves our hearts out of the valley of shadow and death. So if you or your friend only seem, seem to, you know, wanting to talk to each other, but never to God, or if you only see the specks in the other's eyes, but never bother to remove the locks from your own, then you are in sin, and you are not working out your salvation. 
And that you know, grumbling and disputing attitude can happen to a lot of older and more mature Christians too. That because of your experience, you are able to catch problems rightly that others don't see. But be very cautious with what to do with that in your heart. You see, our sinful tendency is to judge others and be critical. You know, to compare the wretchedness going on today with the good old days that we had in the past or you had in the past. You know, older saints, that is a trap. Use your wisdom to build up the younger Christians. Invite them into your life. You know, get to know them. People don't care about what you know until they know what you, that you care. At least that's what the saying goes. And I think there's some truth to it. You've been young and foolish once, and it's not by your own wisdom or your own hard work that you have matured. It is God who worked in you and matured you. So share your wisdom with others with love and humility. So do all things without grumbling or disputing, but fear God and tremble before him. Have you ever noticed the most secure and freed people are those who fear God more than men? And when we fear God the most, everything else becomes less significant. You know, we lost that strong urge to grumble and to fight because we realized how much that we have sinned against God and yet God has graciously forgiven us. So that would move us to be more forgiving others as well. Unless you are the unforgiving and wicked servant in Jesus' parable in Matthew 18, who would, after being forgiven of a great debt from God and unable to forgive the little debts others owed him. And I will say to you, if that's the case, if you continue to grumble and not able to give thanks to God in your circumstances, then you have not grasped the weight of your own sin and the depths of God's love. And why do all things without grumbling or disputing? Paul says in verse 15, it is your testimony of your character and identity in this, before this world. Verse 15 says that you may be blameless and innocent Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Blameless and innocent are your character, that you are pure and you are sincere. It is because that you know that you are a sinner and you need forgiveness from Jesus. So you live as one who has been forgiven and redeemed by the grace of God. You are not always calculating that what you would, what would benefit you the most. You are not always arguing with others, quarreling and, and stirring up strife where you go because you don't need others to approve you or to think that you are right because you ultimately live before the audience of one, and that is our God. His opinion and his will is what matters to you the most. It is also your identity that you obey because you are the children of God without blemish, that you know that you are loved and treasured 
by the mighty creator of the universe. So who cares if you think someone else misunderstood you or made a slight comment that you disagree with? You know, you are quick and easy to let go of personal offense because you are grounded and secure in your personal, in your personal identity in Christ. You know, I admire people like that. Nothing rocks them. They don't get offended easily, and they're always charitable and patient with others. Like a parent with a screaming child throwing up a tantrum, eventually the child gets tired when the parents are just firm and kind. But I've seen parents in supermarkets you know, yelling back at their children when they are crying out loud. You know, they're reacting to children's tantrum with a tantrum of their own. And that's only adding fuel to the fire. So your character and your identity is your testimony before the world. You know, needless to say, you have all experienced, we live in a world that loves grumbling and quarreling. You know, people in general can be full of selfish ambition and they live in self-deceit. Who would possibly count others' interests than our own? You know, that's rubbish. This is a survival of the fittest. You know, it's always others who are wrong and they are to blame. It's never our fault. It is always someone else's responsibility to care for the poor, you know, to deal with injustice in the world. It's never ours. You know, you probably have been in a workplace where people complain about how toxic the culture is. But ironically, I found that people complain about it the most are often those who contribute to the toxic culture the most. Backbiting, gossiping, combating everyone that crosses their path. But that's not the case with you, Christians. You are not to participate in these kinds of conduct. And simply by doing nothing, by not engaging in gossip of your coworkers, by just letting your coworkers argue in thin airs and not respond, by not speaking ill of anyone else at work or your family, you will shine as light in a crooked and twisted generation. You know, last week, a brother, Taurus, used our church membership covenant as an example. I just loved ideas. So good, I want to repeat it again. You know, we are to walk circumspectly in this world, to be just in my dealing, to be faithful in our engagement, exemplary in our deportment, abstaining from all appearances of evil, and to avoid all backbiting, gossiping, and unrighteous anger. Friends, the world will know who we are by our love for one another. John 13, verse 35 says this, that by, by this, you know, by, all you, by your love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. <coughs> I have heard about church splits because they couldn't agree with you know, the color of the new carpets. But as ridiculous as it sounds, we all know that it is never about the carpet. There are probably years of buildup of conflicts and grudges, sins unrepented, unconfessed, mistakes 
that were not corrected with humidity. You know, they probably have quarreled about many, many other sins and grumbled behind the back years after years before the straw finally broke the camel's back. But let that not be with us, GFC. Let us do all things without grumbling or disputing. Walk your talk because it is your testimony. And it is not easy. Obedience does not come naturally. Not even the most disciplined person. You know, sometimes we can use an excuse. I'm not a disciplined person. You know, I'm lazy. You know, I'm just passionate. But no matter what your disposition is as a person, the command to walk the talk is the same because it's God's will for you, it is your testimony, and it is for our mutual joy. And that's our third point today. When you live consistently as a Christian to your confession, and when you walk your talk, it brings much joy to you and to others. You know, Paul gets it. This is not easy. Therefore, he writes, you must hold fast to the word of life so that on the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. See, Paul is looking forward again to the future days of Christ. If you haven't noticed now, Paul always has eternity in his mind as he considers how one must live today. He is always thinking about the glorious days when Christ returns. And that's what comforts him in his suffering. And that's what strengthens him in temptations. And he tells us to hold fast to the word of life, which is the gospel. And that's how we will walk through this life with integrity and consistency to our confession. This is how we will avoid grumbling and disputing and all other temptations. And that will build the mutual joy. We must hold on to the gospel like how we grab onto the poles in public transit. For every hard breaks or sharp turns, that if you're not holding on to something, assuming that you're standing, you will fall. It will be very embarrassing to say the least, or worse, you might even get trampled on. So likewise, you need a gospel for every season, and you must hold on to it tightly. You need a gospel in the morning that you'll be ready to do the good works for this, on this day for the glory of God. You need a gospel throughout your day to remind you of your calling and to strengthen your resolve to do good works. And you need a gospel at night to reflect about your day through the gospel lenses and confess your sins and be ready to forgive those who sin against you so that you do not carry your sin unconfessed and unforgiven to the next day. You need the gospel when the life goes well, right? To give thanks for all circumstances and to encourage others and to share with them what God has blessed you with. And you need the gospel when the life is hard, that you need the hope of the gospel that transcends your life circumstances, that you will be comforted and reassured by the gospel before the sufferings and trials. You need the gospel when you are lost 
and unsatisfied with this present world. You need to be reminded that what you are living for, and you have the and in Jesus, you have the fountain of life, and that you will never be thirsty again. You need to hold on to the gospel. And if you're not a believer, that you are missing out on the greatest treasure in the world. Your motivation for this life is ultimately for your own selfish interests and ambition, and none of it you can carry with you to your grave. And your hope for this life is a mere fantasy. There's no ground for the eternity that you're looking forward to. In fact, that there is going to be judgment for all the sins that you have committed to. And your comfort for this life is always perishing. Human relationship will, in the end, disappoint you, and you can always accomplish more in this life. And others may still be better than you, better off than you. Your investment could be wiped out by a huge recession, and your possession can disappear like a vapor. But without someone dying for your sin, and granting you the righteousness that's of God. You will always be in condemnation. You cannot take back the water you poured out. You cannot take back every harsh words you have grumbled, or the evil deeds you have committed. You need forgiveness, and that is given to you by the person of Jesus Christ, who humbled himself on the cross, taking upon himself the sins that you have committed. And that he gave his breath, gave his life, for your sin. And what he is demanding of you today is to believe in him, is to bow before him, to repent from all the sins that you have committed, and to commit yourself to live and follow his words for the rest of your life until the one day that you will be glorified. You will be made perfect. You will be made whole. That you will enjoy with God in paradise for eternity. So come to Jesus today, if you have not yet. Christian life is full of suffering and pain, but you will have the joy like you have never experienced before. And this is what Paul has run. And labored in his life. You know, his mission is not just to preach the gospel to the Philippians, to build up the church, and to be done with it. That he is personally invested in their growth and progress in the gospel. It is his prayer that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that they may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, that God may be praised and glorified. And Christ's exaltation, in, uh, sorry, and Paul, and Paul's aim is to see the Philippians to withstand the external persecutions by the world, and that to deal with their internal conflict. Caused by grumbling and disputing, and he compares himself as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of their faith. So the drink offering here is referring to 
um, the cup of wine that topped off on top of a burned sacrifice of animals. So when the priest poured the wine over the burnt offering, that the wine would sizzle and be vaporized. So Paul compares himself as that drink offering, that he is being used up for the building up of the Philippians. His life belongs to Jesus. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul meant it. That he would spend his entire life for the sake of the Philippians so that they would be, so they would hold on to the word of life and that Paul would be glad and be proud. So what is the sacrificial offering of the Philippians? It is their lives. In Romans chapter, two, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So to live is Christ and to die is again. This is not just a cool life model, model for the devoted Christians. It is for all Christians. No one who confesses to be a believer should live a life for themselves anymore. The Philippians' sacrificial offering is their life and so is with us. We have given our life to Jesus when we publicly declare him to be our Lord and Savior and that we are now living in a life of consistency, of obedience. We are living a life of encouragement in Christ, a life of comfort from the love of Jesus, a life that's empowered by the Spirit of God, and a life that's filled with affection and sympathy of the Father and brothers and sisters, a life filled with joy and celebrations as we walk side by side for the partnership of the gospel, as we hold fast the word of life in bright days like today or in the stormy gale. You know, I am glad and rejoice with you all, Paul writes, in prison. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Friends, think of the heroes of your faith, the ordinary Christians who have poured out your life like a drink offering. I think of my youth group leaders who drove me every week to fellowship. I listened with patience to all my teenage problems. I think of the uncles and aunties from my old church who always welcomed us to their home and fed us with good food. I think of my youth pastors who showed me from the Bible how all the stories are connected and point to Jesus. I think of Julian, Paul, Nabil, who labored among us, building up GFC with the word of God so that even in the hardest year that we have gone through, their teaching has strengthened our resolve to keep following Jesus and listen to his word and love his people. Even when they're not here, we could continue to do that because our God is with us. You know, I think of our current elders who were thrown into the storm last year unexpectedly dealing with conflict that they had no part of and counseling members day after day and still watching some of our friends leave. Friends, think of these people in your life. Think about what will bring them the deepest joy. Do they desire reward or praises from you? Probably not. What they wanted for you is your joy and progress in the faith. 
that when they hear that you have matured and have grown in the word, that when they hear how much, um, when they see the seeds that they have planted and watered and now bearing fruit and multiplying, I bet that they will rejoice and be glad with you, that they will celebrate with you all the good works God has been doing in your life. And you know what, what delights us? It is when we pray together. It is when you, when you come out to prayer meetings, when you spontaneously pray for one another in this room after service. It's when people wake up at a ridiculous hour of 6 a.m. to pray over Zoom. That brings us joy. You know, it brings us joy when believers see that there is need in the church and you quietly and quickly came forward to provide any help and assistance, whether through financial support or physical giving. It brings joy to believers when you turn to the word of God, striving to grow in godliness with one another, openly confess your sins with each other and follow up with one another. It brings joy to believers when you sing loudly, even if you sing off tunes, you know, we will gladly sing off tune with you. You know, it brings joy to see smiles as you sing or your tears. So friends, when you live out your faith by the word, when you walk the talk, it brings great joy and delight to all other genuine believers. A joy that surpasses all understanding, that's not bound to anything on this earth. The joy that's a gift from heaven, imperfect on this earth, but that joy will be complete one day in eternity. You know, likewise, we grieve when we hear the news of our friends drifting away from faith. When the cares of this world grab the hold of someone's atten- attention and affection, that their church participation dwindles and no, they no longer fellowship with the saints, eventually they became a nominal Christians and were not believer at all. Or when suffering comes unexpectedly in our faith unprepared for trials, instead of lamenting biblically before the Lord, we grumble in our hearts and blame God for our tragedies of our life. And eventually, our affection towards God dissipates and we harden ourselves to the love of God. It saddens us, all of us, when we hear our friends going through that. It also grieves us when we see how we, some some Christians allow small sins to take hold of their lives. You know, you justify your anger by thinking, you know, Jesus flipped the table. You allow jealousy and bitterness in your heart because you think you are a more righteous judge than God. You are lazy in your spiritual discipline. You take no responsibility for your actions or inactions because God is sovereign. You think a glimpse of nudity here and there is okay because they're not pornography. We grieve the spirit and we grieve other believers when sins are unconfessed and hidden. So if you are God's children, he will expose it and discipline you out of love. But if that has not yet to take place and you continue to sin without repentance, when your life does not line up to your confession of your faith, that your walk is not consistent to your talk, then be warned that you are not escaping anything from anyone just because no one knows about your sin. It simply means your confession of faith is fake, that you were never saved. And we grieve for you. And that as long as you're living, we plead with you to turn away from your sin 
and come back to the family of God, family of God, pure and blameless, children of God. So friends, if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord, then walk the talk because it is God's will for you, it is your testimony to the world, and it is our mutual joy to walk alongside with you, striving together by the gospel and for the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks to you for you graciously and mercifully saved hypocrites and phonies like us who pretended to be better than we really are, but inwardly we were all corrupted and sinful. Yet, Lord, we thank you that through hardships of life, you have exposed sin in the light, that you humbled ourselves before you in repentance and faith. So, Lord, we pray for anyone who has not believed in you yet, Lord, that they will see the wretchedness of their own sin, that they will come before you today asking you for repentance. And we pray for any believers who are living in sin, unrepented right now, Lord, that they would confess their sins with a trusted friend, that they will not seek to hide it or cover it, for that you will surely judge that. So, Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.